0: The Jews, Christians, Muslims, and environmentalists all agree on this one point, that the end of the world is upon us. It is coming and is coming quite soon. And guess what? The pipelines that are being laid across the globe right now just might confirm their very belief. Hey, it is Lucas Grobot and you're listening to Lucas Grobot Show where we uncover purpose, pursue truth and own the future. Thanks for being with me today. We are going to be covering pipelines. It sounds boring but it actually is very important and exciting. I'll tell you why in a minute. But if you have a question about this episode or any other episode, send me your questions. You can WhatsApp me at plus +12029220220. And if you do, I'll send you some free stickers from the show as a way to say thank you. Now, back to this episode. The too long didn't read of of how the Jews, Christians, Muslims, and and the religion of environmentalism agreed that the world is ending. And what does that have to do with pipelines? Well, here's the punchline. Environmentalism and, and moving to green energy, it's a great thing. But the technology is just not there. It's probably a number of decades away. And as as I do hope that we have technological advances that enable us to move to amazing green energies like fission, um, it's just not there right now. So why is our environmentalists and environmentalism, the religion of environmentalism, pushing these taxes, pushing uh, trade restrictions on oil, coal, coal, uh, fracking, gas. Well, it is all geopolitical warfare that's designed to weaken a nation's ability to defend itself against war. Because resources and logistics are the things that win and lose wars. And if you can strip a nation from its ability to defend itself in war, then it won't even defend itself in war. It will just bow to the powers that be and will be reliant on the organizations that are ruling the world, such as the UN, uh, as, as it tries to expand its global domination without any sort of uh, voted in representation. They're just people that are placed there and making decisions for the rest of the world. So now, As I said in this intro, Jews, Christians, Muslims, and environmentalists, environmentalism alike, all believe that the world is ending. So here are some of, uh, I'm going to read a short list of some of the things that they all agree on, starting with the Jews. The Jews believe that in order for the end of the world to come, these signs and things must transpire. One of them would be the rebuilding of the temple in Jerusalem the restarting of animal sacrifices, which will bring uh, an end to the current age and start a new and glorious age. Another signal, a trademark of the end of the world, according to the Jews, is this massive battle, Armageddon, uh, a battle with Gog and Magog, which is modern day Russia, um, which would be allied and aligned with uh, ancient and Kush, which is uh, now modern day North Africa, Libya, and Central Africa, uh, present day Ethiopia. And another ally to this uh, war, in this war of Armageddon, would be Teth Torgama, which is modern day Turkey or Asia Minor, would be allied with Russia, and Gomer, which is modern day Germany, and Persia or Iran. The, the, the Jews believe that these nations will gather together form an alliance before the end of the age and attack Israel. Now, oddly enough, Christian eschatology, Christian Christendom believes that these th- signs will also come with the end of the age. One is the, the the rebuilding of the temple as well. They believe that Israel becoming a nation was a huge sign uh, that the end of the age was near, along with Israel believing that. Uh, they believe that inc- uh, increase in earthquakes and an increase of travel and an increase of me- media communication are signs of the end of the world. But note the shared the shared similarity with the war of Armageddon with Gog and Magog, modern day Russia and Persia, uh, Turkey, North and Central Africa, all aligned against Asia or against uh, Israel, excuse me. Now, when you look at Muslim eschatology, lo and behold, what do you find? You find that in Muslim eschatology, they also believe that there is going to be a massive war with Gog and Magog breaking forth and making war. Against the Middle East. Some of those signs that they believe is also earthquakes. They believe that very tall buildings will be a sign of the end of the age. They believe that uh, the emergence of earthquakes. Um, they believe that uh, an immersion of pornography will be a sign of the end of the age. And they also believe that the old imitating the young and looking to the young for wisdom is a sign of the end of the age. So right now it looks like we are uh, three for three, all three are agreeing that the end of the age is near. But what does that have to do with environmentalism? Well, one of the signs that Islam believes is the end of the age is the greening of Arabia and that when the Arab lands return to be lands of rivers and fields, that the end of the age will come. Now, what do we see happening right now? Uh, the crown prince of Saudi, Mohammed bin Salman, MBS, announces two massive green initiatives just over this last couple weeks on March 24th, 2021. And they're planning to plant 50 billion trees in Saudi Arabia for a reforestation program. And I love it. I think that's great. I think they should plant 50 billion trees. I think that's a great idea. But that goes in to this next point of environmentalism and the eschatology of environmentalism. So environmentalism really is a religion. It is a religion made up of, of priests and priestesses and archbishops and a whole level of uh, uh of theology and doctrine that is quote unquote backed by science, but when you break down the actual science, it it's really just ideology. And for the last 40 years, they've been saying that the end of the world, last almost 60 years now, I believe, that the end of the world is upon us. They said that earthquakes and famines are going to come, storms are going to come, the ice caps are going to melt. Uh, all, nearly the entire world The coastlands will be completely uninhabitable, Um, and this has been starting since 1960, and since then, we've had this new moral code that's emerged with environmentalism, which is don't eat meat, don't use plastic straws, um, use coal-burning cars (laughs) instead of gasoline-burning cars, but then don't burn coal. Instead, let's strip all the forest and call it biomass energy and burn the forests in stead. But what is there to gain? Why would environmentalism be pushing this agenda when in a large part, a lot of their policies don't make sense? The the policies that they are trying to enact do not achieve the things that they hope to achieve. But so what is their end? Well, environmentalism is really attached to the government systems. And with that, it comes more power because governments then can then use and leverage environmentalism to wage political geopolitical warfare and to cause nations and peoples in those nations to become more reliant on the government by increasing the cost of electricity, by increasing the demands upon a nation, by sanctioning, uh, putting uh, sanctions on a nation because they're not applying the the levels of of green energy that they wish and these things are are all happening and with it there is a a need and a desire for money because if you can be the party in the platform that is pushing and propagating this green agenda then you are the one that is controlling the money you can add another label, layer of carbon tax to the people so that you can grow the government to become larger and bigger and cause the people to be more and more reliant upon you as a savior. And so, unto what end? Well, ultimately, it is the stagnation of human development, in my opinion, and there's data to back that up, because as you invest more and more money into green energies that are not yet developed enough to be sustainable. They're not yet financially affordable. What you're causing is the human development to stagnate because instead of reinvesting that into into other projects that could have real return on investments, we're investing it into a current technology of green energy that's producing about $1 $1, $1 return on every dollar spent. So We're spending a million dollars trying to convert to new green energy, but we're only getting a one cent return per dollar on that rather than investing in R&D, rather than investing in the education system of our people so that our people can rise up out of poverty. Because as people rise up out of poverty, they actually become more concerned about the environment and they will begin to take care and conserve the natural environment around them. But when you force electricity prices to go up and oil prices to go up, all that does, it puts a bigger burden on the lowest class of people, inhibiting them from rising out of poverty and out of the lower class and into the middle class. Why would someone want to do this? Why would you want to keep someone in the lower class in poverty? Well, because if you can keep them there, you can keep them reliant on the government. And a, a bigger point here is that if you can do that on on a nation if you can create a nation to have a weakened infrastructure and power grid then they do not have a strong enough infrastructure to support itself in the case of war. And therefore, if war ever comes knocking on one of these nation's doors, they will not have the ability to fight and therefore they will be no battle. It would just be a matter of negotiation and the strongest party will be able to get what they want. It all comes back down to power, control, and dominance. This whole thing, everything that we're talking about, when it comes to the pipelines and when it comes to the energy wars that we're seeing across the, the globe, and I don't like to even use the word war because that is so obtuse that we never know how or when this war or what this war is, is really about and how we can ever win it. But when we talk about the, the struggle for dominance in the energy sector, it all comes back down to power. Here is the archbishop of one of the archbishops of the environmental movement commenting on how the world is going to end the archbishop aoc the world is going to end in 12 years if we don't address climate change and your biggest issue is your your biggest issue is how are we going to pay for it how are we going to pay for it this is the biggest issue. This is the big, biggest issue because what is happening is that these these movement, the movement of environmentalism is being pushed as i said by the desire for power, by the desire for dollars. By the desire to gain more power in a political system, to have ultimately more geopolitical power through um, apparatuses like the EU and the UN. for instance, the EU aims to create a or aims to be climate neutral, which is you know having their offset of of carbon put into the air as at zero from what they're doing to help the environment versus the what they're spending in carbon to um, fuel their cities to be carbon neutral by 2050 an economy with a net zero greenhouse gas emissions. But the way that they're doing this is quite tricky. It's quite sly. It's quite ingenious. In fact, they are using what is called biomass fuel. So 39%, almost 40% of the green energy that is being used in the EU is a certain type of fuel called biomass. Now, you may not have heard about biomass before, but biomass or biofuel is playing off a creative word, a creative positioning in the the name of the fuel, bio. Why is it bio? Well, because it's trees. We have cut down trees, turned them into little wood pellets, put them on a ship, shipped them all across the world, And then we burn it in our coal factories, which we retrofitted to burn wood instead of coal. But we can call these biomass because it's, well, it's biological material that we're burning rather than digging up coal from the earth. And this is representing close to 40% of the green energy that is being burnt or used in the EU specifically in the UK and in Denmark, and now conservationists, people who care about the environment are very concerned because what's happening is that they're they're stripping forests from places like in the u s in Canada, in Vietnam, and then they're taking these forests deforestation they're putting it into wood pellets and sending it to places like Uh, Europe, and now beginning more and more, it's growing markets in South Korea and Japan. Why are they doing this? And what are the effects? Well, they're doing this because they need to figure out how to fuel their cities. And the EU is saying, well, you have to be, and they have to have a plan to be net neutral by 2050. And now they said, well, if you're burning wood, if you're cutting down forests, well, that's okay, because technically that carbon is already out of the ground because trees pulled it out of the ground and pulled it out of the air and so we can cut down these trees and we can then burn them which is a less efficient fuel than coal because wood wood is not as dense and it's not as refined as coal so it's actually putting more toxins into the atmosphere but the argument is that oh well these this carbon that's released is already in the atmosphere from the trees and trees will grow back in time. That is if these trees are being replanted and with it, we're seeing deforestation and further harm to the environment. Now, now there are a lot of in, in environmentally uh, concerned people who are standing up and talking about this and fighting against this and trying to make this stop. But this is one example of just clever language to get around to get around their own goals, to be able to still have a functioning society. Another one that they're trying to do is trying to push hydro. For instance, in China, China is a a big um, hydro nation, and there's a lot of complaints and arguments against hydro. In China, 40% of their energy is quote-unquote renewable energy, but those energies are, are coming from wind, solar, and hydro. Water. Now, when you dam up a river, environmentalists say, you're actually destroying an entire ecosystem. You actually create methane gas by having these reservoirs sit full of water. Um, And when it comes to solar, you're digging up rare earth minerals. That cannot be recycled later on once you create it into a solar panel. And these solar panels are not yet efficient enough. So, when you look at the cost to benefit ratio, and when you look at the cost of then having to dispose of these. Solar panels, once that they're at the end of their use, you cannot put them in a landfill. You cannot dispose of them properly. And we have the same thing with wind turbines. They're incredibly expensive to use. They have a high carbon footprint and their lifetime is quite short. And at the end of it, they're just being put back into the ground. They're actually not helpful. They're not helping the environment any. They're actually quite damaging. But China as well, China does not have a lot of oil, such as Canada or the U.S. through fracking and oil, or the Middle East, which are very oil-rich places. China, on the other hand, is very rich in natural resources and rare earth metals. So it is to their advantage to push this green initiative because if they can push this green initiative, they will hamper other nations from being having a strong position to defend itself against China and they will be able to grow and export their raw minerals overseas to other nations, which gives them a natural advantage. So there is a geopolitical war that's going on and it is all a horse and pony show. The The green green movement is a front for geopolitics and positioning to gain the upper hand for what? For the end of the world that the, the environmentalists say is coming. The, the thing that I find funniest about environmentalism and environmentalists is that they have discerned the world through such, such a lens that no matter what happens with wa- weather patterns, it proves their point. It's colder, say, ah, see, it's global warming. It's hotter, ah, see, it's global warming. There's storms, oh, it's global warming. There's less storms, oh, it's global warming. It's like anything that happens, it's a sign that the world is going to end, as AOC said, in 12 years. But they've been saying that for the last 60 years. So, as I said, this, this all is a, a push for geopolitical strength and positioning between some of the the world's major players. Now, you probably remember that when President Biden became president, the first thing that he did as president was kill the Keystone Pipeline, which ended up killing tens of thousands of jobs in America, tens of thousands of jobs in Canada, and hurting the relations between Canada, In America, Trudeau, who is one of the most liberal world leaders that we know, actually had some harsh words to say about Biden and begged and is fighting to essentially get the Keystone pipeline back up and running because Biden illegally stopped the progress of the Keystone pipeline because there's actually government contracts in place. The president does not have the authority just to cancel a contract that is already in place. And with that, the the stopping of this pipeline actually weakened the U.S. economy, caused oil prices to go back up. I'm sure a very number, number of things added to that, but that's one of the things that added to that, which then hurts the U.S.'s ability for logistical capabilities in the event of a war 20, 30 years down the line, especially after this pipeline would have been built. And that's one of the big things that it's about. When you look at Biden's positioning as a president, you can see that a lot of his, uh, a lot of his ideology is to dismantle America as a world power. And that was in line lockstep with Obama's policy was that we, oh, America's up here as a, a world superpower. Let's try to bring it down. Just make us you know, one of the gang one of the group. And that has been a positioning that the USSR has held for a number of years of how can we dismantle America's military? How can we say and make arguments that, you know, actually the greatest sign of your strength would be to dismantle your military because that proves that you're actually quite strong. And so it's just a further walking forth of this ideological uh, movement, which is one of the communist agenda from uh, the book, The Naked Communists, the 45 agendas. One of them is through the the UN causing a demilitarization of the United States. The Keystone Pipeline was killed. There was another story recently where the German-Russia pipeline, which is in the process of being made, Biden threatened and said, if you do not stop building this pipeline, which is almost 95% finished, that connects Germany to Russia, which is the Nord Stream 2 pipeline, that if they do not stop, that they could face sanctions. So here is America threatening their own ally, Germany, that if you do not stop building this pipeline with Russia, which would cut out Ukraine from the flow, which Ukraine is another U.S. ally and would cut out the EU from the flow and strengthen the Russia's positioning geopolitically and the relation between Russia and Western, uh, Western Europe through Germany, saying, if, if you don't stop this, we're going to put sanctions on you, sanctions on you, our ally. Why? It's because of money. They want the oil to flow through Ukraine. They want to control the flow of oil. Oil is still a major and will continue to be a major for a number of decades still. Powerhouse and logistical resource for these nations. Nations would not be spending hundreds of billions of dollars to build pipelines if green energy was a viable source within the next decade. They would be putting all of their, their R&D into new technology if it was at that place, if the cost-to-benefit ratio was at that place, if they could incentivize that. But they can't. But we can't because the technology is not there. One day it will be there. One day we will develop a, a, another breakthrough in technology, which will put, put coal, and oil completely out of business, and I welcome that day with open arms, but that day is not anywhere near today. Case in point, speaking of building billions of dollars of pipeline, the UAE signed an agreement with Israel to build a pipeline. This was from October 2020, The European Asian Pipeline Co., formerly known as the Ilat-Eshkalan Pipeline, has signed a binding memorandum of understanding in Abu Dhabi with the Med-Red Company to operate a land bridge for conveying oil between the Red Sea and the Mediterranean Sea. The EAPC said that the cooperation represents good news for the global energy market because it provides the oil producers and manufacturers with a shortened, more efficient, and cost-saving route for the conveyance of oil and its products from the Gulf to areas of demand in the West while bringing the markets of East Asia closer to the oil producers in the Mediterranean and Black Sea. Now, there will also be options to bring the oil by tanker to the Elat port, which is right next to uh, just at the, the tip of Israel, next to Saudi Arabia, or to build a pipeline from the UAE across Saudi Arabia to Israel. Now, this is a huge development, which is further connecting the, the bilateral relations between UAE and Israel since the Abrahamic Accords which which essentially normalized relations between Israel and the UAE, including Bahrain and uh, some nations in northern Africa. And this is huge because they, their relations, they had no relations before because of the conflict in Palestine. But the... Saudi Arabia actually just weighed in uh, uh, about a week ago, I believe, saying that they, too, are looking to welcome a relationship with Israel because it would be very uh, beneficiary for the region, especially in a balanced power uh, against Iran. But they said, first, we have to make sure that the the crisis in Palestine is resolved and there is some sort of peace process. So we can—I'm I'm assuming that in the next— Coming months, if not coming years, we are going to see a a quick resolve in what's happening across Palestine, uh, being pushed by a lot of these GCC nations as talks are now um, being and relationships are being opened and resumed, and this is going to lead to um, open borders, and for lack of a better word, between Israel and the Gulf states through this Abrahamic. Accord, And it's also going to lead to a large flow of oil, which will present security for the Arab peninsula. There is another article that was written by the Israel National News. And this article is talking about a pipeline from Saudi Arabia through Israel to Haifa. Now, it comes with a story, and I'm going to read this short history story, history lesson from the Israel National News. It goes as this. In World War II, British tankers in Egypt heroically battled Rommel's tanks coming east from Libya. There have been many movies and TV shows made about these grand battles, but no one seems to have asked a simple question. Where do the British get the raw, unrefined oil, and then refined oil to fuel their tanks and battleships of the Mediterranean Sea? The answer, 500,000 Jews of Mandate Palestine, save Palestine from the Nazi lover, Jerusalem Mufti Haj Amin al-Husseini. By refining the oil that was transited by pipeline from the Mesopotamian oil fields to Haifa, Without the 500,000 Jews of 1930 to 1940 in pre-Israel Israel, Israel, Great Britain would have been wiped out of the eastern Mediterranean Sea before World War II began. An Arab-Israeli pipeline can save the world in what is shaping up to be World War III, just as... The Arab pre-Israel pipeline saved the world in World War II. This is an important sentence. I'm going to read it again. An Arab-Israel pipeline can save the world in what is shaping up to be World War III, just as the Arab pre-Israel pipeline saved the world in World War II. If Great Britain had been wiped out of the Mediterranean prior to World War II, the the allies would have lost World War II and we would all be speaking German. And uh if you didn't have blonde hair, blue eyes, you might not be here. For instance, me and my Slavic people, we probably wouldn't be around anymore. The article continues. In the unlikely but possible event that Russia and Iran, if I if I remember correctly, didn't we start this epi- didn't we start this episode? Talking about Russia and Iran, Gog and Magog and Persia, creating an alliance to fight against Israel that is confirmed by the three major monotheistic faiths, both the, the Jews, the Christians, and the Muslims. Interesting. I don't know, just saying. In the unlikely but possible event that Russia and Iran succeed, In decimating the Sunnis from Iraq through Syria, win the contagious land corridor from Iran to Syria and Lebanon, and build an oil and gas pipeline to the eastern Mediterranean, Saudi Arabia, and the oil kingdoms have to have an answer or they will be wiped out by the Iran-Russian pipeline. The article continues. A Saudi-Jordan-Israel oil and gas pipeline is the only answer. It is the shortest distance between two points of Saudi Arabia and the eastern Mediterranean. That was a historic path of the westward oil pipeline before Israel was created in 1948, when the Arabs declared an endless war. Egypt is too unstable to protect and control its own pipeline through the Sinai Peninsula, let alone anything grander. Therefore, the Sunni oil kingdoms have only one and only one choice that's a pipeline through Israel. And if you have been paying any attention to what's happening in the Suez Canal with the the evergreen careening into the edge of the side of the wall and being stuck there costing the globe trillions of dollars uh, in trade, we know that the Suez Canal is not a reliable source. We need to have other sources of trade throughout the region because if that would happen again, if that would happen again in the Suez Canal, there'd be a massive disruption if something worse happened. So how are these nations going to create the logistics that they need to defend themselves in the case that Russia and Iran do end up breaking through the barriers and and careening down on the GCC, and on Israel. So where does this all leave us? Well, this leaves us in, in two places for today. The first place that it leaves us is don't be fooled by envi- environmentalism. Take Don't litter, do what you can, don't be wasteful, don't just leave your car running and leave your ACs on or your heat running or water running. Like, take good care of the environment. Like, just take good care of the environment, but don't drink the Kool-Aid, don't fall into the virtual, the virtue signaling and the moral positioning and the shame and feeling like you're better than someone else because you, I don't know, you have like bamboo bed sheets or something crazy. Don't fall into any of that. Now on a micro level, yeah. If, if you have a solar panel on your roof that's providing you hot water, good. Like, why not use the things that we have? But when it comes to a larger geopolitical level, oil is still the main source of energy. Coal is still going to be a main source of energy for years to come, I believe. And I believe that we can see that through the fact that these nations are investing billions and billions of dollars, not just the GCC in Israel, not just Russia and Germany, not just Canada, and hopefully America can get back on track. But we also see with with China, we also see with Iran and Russia, we see these oil pipelines, they're huge logistical resources to defend and supply uh, military operations and geopolitical positioning for decades to come. And if they saw a different or more efficient fuel source on the horizon, I guarantee you they would be putting their money elsewhere. That is all for the this segment of the episode, but stay tuned. We have a killer quote for our Weaver and Loom segment. <laughs> Welcome back to Weaver and Loom, a part of the show where we take ancient wisdom and we weave it in with our everyday lives, so that we can weave our destinies and own the future. Now, today's quote comes from General Robert H. Barrow of the USMC, which is the command of Marine Corps. He noted in 1980, "Amateurs talk about tactics." But professionals study logistics. In our life, oftentimes, we focus a lot on tactics. We focus a lot on strategies. We focus a lot on our, on our goals and our dreams and how we're going to get there. But the logistics... Professionals study logistics. War generals study the logistics. If you have the logistics, if you have the the cash flow, if you have the runway, if you have the pipelines, if you have the, the relational networks that you know how to use, if you know how to get food to your troops at the right time before they starve to death, you will win the war. Logistics are the things that win and lose wars. Now, Uh, the one and only Sun Tzu from The Art of War, he talks about this also. He mentions in his book how that the, the best way to win a battle is to not fight it at all. And the best way to not fight a battle at all is to have enough strength so that no one attacks you, to have the upper hand. And the way that you can have the upper hand is by having the logistics that you need in place in your life, just as nations right now are building these pipelines so that they have the logistics that they need so that there's not even a war, so that they can prevent a war. Because if you are strong enough, if a nation is strong enough, They will not be threatened, they will not be pushed around, and another nation will not dare attack because they know that the cost might be too great. This is what's happening on a global scale with these pipelines, and this is also what's happening on a personal scale with our lives. So if you have dreams and goals like we all do, and you're planning and strategizing and getting tactics together of how to reach them... But maybe you're a little frustrated. Maybe your plans are being frustrated. I would suggest to you, and I do the same, I've been doing the same, to look at the logistics, to study your logistics and see do you have actually a hang up in the logistics, which is inhibiting you from reaching your goals. And I would look at things like cash flow or your network, your resources. Do you have the, the runway that you need to accomplish your dreams? Just as governments, have to procure and build and develop those natural resources and alliances, we as individuals, as families and organizations, we have to lift up our heads, look around, figure out how are we going to build that capacity and how are we going to build those alliances or networks to achieve our goals in a mutual way that helps our allies achieve their goals. What are the pipelines that we need to build that will sustain us for the battles that we face and the goals that we want to achieve. I would suggest by first looking at relational, financial, and intellectual pipelines. Do you have the intellectual pipelines you need? Do you have the financial pipelines you need? Do you have the, the relational, the network and alliances that you need to win the war that you are fighting? So that's all for today. I'd like to recommend my book to you, Anchor the Discipline to Stop Drifting, I wrote this time, but this book in a time of my life where I did not have the pipelines I needed. And I had to take a step back. I had to pause and I had to reassess. And out of that came this book, Anchor the Discipline to Stop Drifting, where I was able to refocus my life on the logistical things that I needed to build and improve so that I could reach my goals and fulfill my destiny. So you can check that book out. The link is in the show notes. And finally, I want to thank you for being here on the show. If you enjoyed this episode, if you found it insightful, share it with one friend. Just text them, WhatsApp them, DM them. Don't need to post it on your Instagram. Just share it. That's all. Remember, you are a truth seeker who goes out and discerns the truth so that you can own the future. Associate producer for this episode was Treece Best Hannafan Third. Therese, thank you for all your hard work and dedication to the show.